Hello and welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. This podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology both in our context and beyond. everyone, and welcome to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. And uh, we have a really special episode for you today, uh, a guest, a special guest star um, who is going to be joining us. Uh, you can probably already tell by listening, the audio is different because we are on a Zoom call that you will hear the audio from in an interview with uh, a good friend, um, Dr. Michael S. Heiser. I know him as Mike. And um, he is a, uh, a, a an author um, for me, an older friend. I, I, I met him before. Uh, I knew he was an author, um, but uh, he's going to be joining us, and we're going to be talking about his his book, The Unseen Realm. Uh, Mike has more than a hundred thousand pod uh, YouTube subscribers. Uh, the Unseen Realm has sold more than a hundred thousand copies, and uh, I'm really proud of him. Uh, and so. It's kind of fun, actually, in reading through the uh, recognitions at the end of the book. I know about half the people uh, that are listed there, um, especially including Mike's wife, Drina, um, who uh, our family is good friends with, of course, Mike and Drina and their kids. And so, um, so Mike, welcome to Reform Podmatics, and thanks so much for taking time to join us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, I'll give a little bit of an introduction. So... Um, I, I would guess that most people who interview Mike, I, I heard some interviews in preparation for this, um, pretty much know him because of his scholarly work and the books that he's written. I met Mike because I worked with his wife at a Christian bookstore in Linden, Washington, mm -hmm. and uh, we ended up hanging out with them a lot after church on Sundays. We went to, we chose our church because it's where the Heisers were going to church and took care of their kids when they went out of town once and um, had Thanksgiving and Christmas together and all that. And he even got me my job at Lagos Bible Software, I'm convinced. And so um, we go way <laughs> back. He, he and his wife did my premarital counseling. So uh, I don't know if you've ever done that for anyone else, Mike. <laughs> no, we, ha we, we have not. So. <laughs> well, we're doing okay. So good job. Yeah, no, we, 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 we didn't figure it was a failure. So we didn't, it wasn't like we were quitting after one. <laughs> yeah. What were you going to say, Zach? I was just going to say that I think you, you once told me that your voice is on the Naked Bible podcast. I I'm not sure if it still is, but I know I did hear it one time yes. at the very so if, end. <laughs> if we have any uh, anybody who's coming over to this podcast from the Naked Bible podcast, you might recognize my voice as the uh, the, the bumper for uh, the, the conclusion of Naked Bible. So yeah. it's, it's a... <laughs> Uh, a great honor fun fact yeah yeah right, we right. yeah we stuck with it because you sound good you have a good <laughs> a good voice so the the podcast is a natural thing for you to do i'm just wondering what took you so long yeah well <laughs> you know it, it was covid actually that kind of forced us into how are we going to connect with our church while mm -hmm. we're not together very much and so we, we pretty much started there was a lot happening of course in 2020 politically a lot of yeah. theological things to sort through and so we started the podcast thinking uh, we, we need more time with our, our people. We need more connection to them. And if we can't do it physically, we'll do it virtually. So that was the, 
the genesis of the podcast of report hmm. pod addicts. Yeah. But um, Mike, was that your way of saying that Mark has a face for radio? Was that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, <maybe>. no. <laughs> I'm I'm the one that has the face for radio. So. <laughs> no, but uh, it's been cool to to follow Mike's journey. Um, you know, from uh, from really a friend. Um, you know, I was I was looking at pictures and I found one of us building a, an Alego airport on Christmas Day uh, when your kids were just little kids, Mike. And uh, man, yeah, it was. Uh, so now here you are, um, a, an author of, of renown and uh, an influential person in in, in uh, certainly in American evangelicalism. I know that uh, I had a friend who came. Uh, and, and drove through um, Ripon and stopped by. It was my wife's roommate's husband. And he's just was going on about these two guys he loved. It was Paul Vanderclay. Have you ever heard of Paul Vanderclay? And I'm like, yeah, he's one of my friends. He's a CRC pastor. And what about Mike Heiser? Have you ever heard of Mike Heiser? He's just the greatest. And I'm like, yeah, he's an old friend too, actually. So, uh, <laughs> so lots of people following you, Mike, and congratulations on your success. Well, it's, it's been interesting and it's been fun. You know, it's, it's, I guess the best word for it is rewarding. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, especially in, you know, in, in the wake of my illness for your, your audience, I have, I have cancer. I'm currently doing the chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but people just come out of the woodwork to thank you. Mm. So, you know, we just get, you know, emails and cards and letters and all that stuff all the time. And, and they, they'll, they'll take the time to, you know, tell you that, you know, you, you've had an impact in their life and so on and so forth. So we, we get a lot of that. And, and that wasn't something you, you know, at the beginning you anticipate, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just sort of happens. Absolutely. But yeah, it's, it's been great. Unseen Realm has done extraordinarily well. Um, I mean, if you count up, if you count up all the units, like with everything, you know, you know, how Faith Life used to do, um, you know, with Logos books, audio books, mm. this this collection, that collection. I mean, it, it it's 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 hovering around three hundred thousand now. So wow, yeah, it's it's a lot more than I thought it would be. In fact, at the at the beginning of the whole story, I I I took what was the first draft of the manuscript and just put it online because i didn't think anybody would publish it <laughs> mm-hmm. you know i figured it would be too too different um for for anybody to really feel comfortable with it even though i knew it would it would touch a touch nerves in a good way mm-hmm. but we mm-hmm. just threw it up there you know and then and at the time lexham was two years old and lexham was the publishing arm of of logos bob wanted to go into print publishing Mm-hmm. and uh you know he he rebuked me for not giving them giving him the manuscript and i said well you know i mean his, his dad had read through it three or four times dale if you remember dale oh yeah oh yeah um and and wanted to do it and i said well bob you know have you read have you read the book yet mm-hmm. no i said well to me it sounds like your plan is let's publish mike's book and then fire him <laughs> <laughs> Because why would we do that? We love you. <laughs> so we got to read it. You know, it doesn't doesn't really fit anywhere. And, you know, it, it gives it give, gives a lot of opportunity for people to be irritated or or you know offended or whatever. You know, because it's it's theological stuff. You're you're naturally going to do that anyway. Mm. Well, I don't know if it's accurate, but would would it be fair to say that 
your book really kind of launched Lexum Press in a lot of ways, right? It, it, it turned yeah. out that, that that was the way that it was the first and still is the biggest seller. Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, it had that effect, even though none of us figured that that would be the case. In fact, Bob, Bob actually hired an external um, book launching team. They're, they're, I think they, they all worked formerly for Zondervan mm. and they had, they had their own uh, business because he, he didn't think Lexham was at the point where, they, where it could handle it, you know, do what needed to be done well, which, you know, in some ways we learned that wasn't true and others, other ways we learned that that was true. Mm. Um, but they, they were very helpful uh, in, in getting the book out and, you know, doing things like that. But, but, you know, we had to do, we had to market it. We had to do all the, the, the normal stuff that you do, right. um, you know, to, to push out a product. But yeah, not, nobody thought it would, it would balloon to, to something this big. Well, it's uh, maybe even before we start getting into the content of the book, I, I do want to let you know that our family's certainly praying for you, Mike, and um, praying for healing, praying for strength each day for you. Um, this oh, is not really, good. I need it. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I, again, I was listening to other podcasts and things and, um, it, it's, uh, it's interesting to hear people talk with you who, who only know you on that scholarly level, but, uh, I, I'm almost, um, the opposite in some ways of, uh, having defeated you in fantasy football, uh, <laughs> and, uh, which yeah, is all, an all too regular occurrence. <laughs> <laughs> and fantasy baseball, from what I recall, haven't we done some baseball yeah. leagues together too, but, uh, no, I, I, um, we are praying for you and, and uh, think often of you and Drina and the kids and, and love following you guys on social media too. So, um, yeah, well, that, that's largely Drina. She, she, <laughs> you know, gets into the social media, but a couple, a couple of years ago, we finally hired somebody to actually do social media, you know, for, for me, because I'm just, I'm inept at it. And Drina, <laughs> Drina only has so much time, you know, to, yeah, right. to devote to it. So. And they they know what they're doing, so it's worked out well. It's it's one of the reasons we we did we've done well on YouTube, you know, to push mm. the subscribers up. Mm, yeah. And it, to to us, it just looks like magic. But people who who know what they're doing, they know how to how to work work the system, and they they understand the behavior of the user and all that. Cool. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, and so uh, we are uh, discussing uh, Mike's. I would say his major tome, uh, The Unseen Realm. Um, and uh, Mike, you've written a handful of other books, but this is probably mm -hmm. the one that gets the most discussion. It was kind of the launch yeah. of that in a lot of ways. Um, so uh, perhaps for those who haven't heard of the book or haven't read it, how would you describe it? Um, maybe even summarize uh, the main teaching yeah. of the book. Un Unseen Realm is a book that, that seeks to do biblical theology. What I, what I mean by that, that is, it seeks to connect scriptural dots across both testaments with an eye, and here's, here's the unseen part, with an eye toward how the, the unseen world of, you know, of God, you know, supernatural beings intersects with the human world, you know, how, how that has been the case from the very beginning all the way to the end. You know, God, God has some very simple desires at the beginning. You know, to, he, he had a supernatural family, you know, the, the so-called sons of God, the angelic host. I mean, it goes by lots of names in scripture. Uh, so he had, he had beings that he created to interact with, but he wanted a human family. He wanted an embodied family. 
And so, you know, from the very beginning, you know, I, I talk about how I, I don't believe Genesis 1, 26 and 27 has anything to do with the Trinity, even though I'm, I'm a Trinitarian. Um, I think it, it's God speaking to his heavenly host, announcing his intention to create an embodied family, human beings. And so from the beginning, we have this, this strange intersection of God, the heavenly beings, and people. And so that, that's something that doesn't go away. It's something that sort of operates beneath the surface uh, in a lot of passages, both in terms of good and evil, because God has created us as free will beings. That's part of, of the community. That's one of the communicable attributes. Um, and your audience should know what communicable attributes are. You know, attributes yeah, that should. God shares. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they should. Um, but one of those is freedom. You know, we, we have this attribute nowhere near it to the exhaustive totality of God, of course. We don't, we don't possess any, any of the attributes he shares to the extent that he has them. But this is one of those those things that God God makes choices to further his plan, his, his desire to have a family, his desire to have both families and blend them together. And I, I, I'm an ancient Near Eastern guy, an Old Testament scholar. So a book that, that really gets people to think about reading scripture in, in the ancient Near Eastern context. And when we get to the New Testament, reading scripture in, in what's called the intertestamental Jewish or Second Temple Jewish context, that it informs our reading of Scripture. And if, if we read it the way they would have been reading it, my, my little ditty for this is, I want when you read the Old Testament, I want the Israelite living in your head. And when you read the New Testament, I want the, the, the first century Jew, the Second Temple Jew, living in your head. Because they, they're going to look at Scripture in some ways a lot differently than we do. And they're going to be looking at passages a lot differently than, than the church fathers did or you know, some other point of our heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, going to, they're going to be the most um, immediate audience. I mean, the Bible was written to them. It wasn't written to us. It was written for our benefit. And, you know, we know 2 Timothy 3.16, we embrace inspiration and, and the scripture's practicality for us in, in doctrine and in practice. But the fact of the matter is that, that there was a specific audience for scripture. It was the audience of, of the biblical writers. It's the one that, that they were part of. And so to really understand scripture, we have to understand it from the way they were viewing it. And if we do that, what the challenge of the book is, you're going you're gonna to see things in, in, in scripture that you never saw before. And you'll also see how they connect to each other, how, how one thought connects to another. And, and a lot of the, the, the stuff that will emerge are, you know, tends to be stuff that, that gets skipped. A lot of the weird stuff in the Bible, again, would have been normative for them because they, they just have a different worldview. They, they were very, you know, they, they had a supernaturalistic worldview. And I, think, I think evangelicals today often shy away from that because the supernatural worldview has been so, so abused by charismatic circles. I'm not a charismatic. I mean, I have charismatic friends. Uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a sector of the church that I just turn off, but, but it, it is a sector of the church that I've learned by experience that just operates almost totally on experience. Um, you know, so that, that, that lends itself toward, toward not really grasping the text of scripture as well. You know, it's, it's you know, what your experience is or 
something you heard or you saw or you thought you saw or something like that. So, you know, I, the, 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 book, the book is a lot different than, than most books because what I'm, what I'm actually trying to do is I'm trying to get, get people to read scripture like they were an Old Testament Israelite or like they were a Second Temple Jew and just sort of let the chips fall where they may. Mm. Uh, in, yeah. independent of, of their traditions and their, you know so uh, there's another there's, there's part of the book where i say you know the right context for interpreting scripture is the context that produced it it's not the reformation it's not evangelicalism it's not the charismatic movement it's not methodism it's not the church fathers it's not the rabbis either the rabbis are medieval okay, we, we often forget that you know, just like the, the church fathers are late antiquity and early middle ages well that, that so, so are the rabbis they're, they're not they're not the boots on the ground audience that scripture has you know that scripture you know originally had so the more we can use scholarship to tap into that worldview and understand the text on its own its own level and try to come to grips with with what it's saying and and challenge ourselves to you know believe what it's saying the more we do that the more connectivity between the testaments i think we'll see and and the more usefulness we'll get out of passages that seem very strange and obscure uh, that are that are just kind of you know from another world uh, because they are and and that that that's the challenge of the book so i i go from genesis to revelation you know, showing how how scholars, you know, who are experts in these fields, how they look at scripture and why, and what it means, you know, what what the practical fallout is, how we would handle a certain passage, and and how this interpretation of this passage is going to affect another one. So we, what I'm doing is I'm building the I'm building the matrix for people. For those who are familiar with the the, the movie, I say I can I can I can build you the box. I can build you the matrix. But you have to you have to jump into it to really you know appreciate the the sort of the framework of, of scripture. I can give you the, the framework. I'll I can build the sandbox for you. You know that, that you can play in. But you got to get in there and and you know struggle with with the content of scripture. And and you know I, I would tell people, look, you're going to emerge. You know, and, and I've emerged, you know, not not really different from from when I, I started. I mean, I'm a I'm a boring old line, you know, Trinitarian, you know, Christian. I'll still use the word evangelical, even though I, I wonder sometimes if it means anything today. <laughs> yeah, we, um, we've done an episode on that. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, that's a it, great question. <laughs> it, it, it it's very it's a very frustrating thing. Yeah. But I you know, I still accept the inspiration and inerrancy and you know, these important, you know, core doctrines and so none of that's going to change, but what will change is, is how you get to some of those conclusions. And I, I liken it to, to, you know, you telling me you need to get somewhere and I have a car and I say, oh, I'll, I'll take you there. I, I know how to get from point A to point B, let you hop in. And, and so you do, you trust me. And, you know, we're five minutes into the trip and you look out the window and nothing looks familiar to you. Yeah. You know, like you have no idea that that I know what I'm doing here. You know, are you sure you know the way that you're supposed to go? And you know, I mean, you you feel lost and you feel a little bit bewildered. Like, like what have I what have I gotten myself into? But then, you know, when you get to the end of it, it's like, wow, you know, I'm I'm here. I I arrived at where where I thought we were going to arrive. 
even even though I had no idea how we were getting there, but but we sort of did. And and scripture is a wonderful thing, you know. It's a it, it's a thing that that's that's so intelligent and finely tuned, you know, to to the content of itself. That that's the one thing that I think people appreciate uh, the most about the book is seeing the interconnectivity to it. Sure. Yeah. And I I once heard a, a really good sermon on um, I think it was Psalm one eighteen, you know, a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, and the the sermon was by Don Carson, and he said, you know. No one comes to church today and asks, I need a priest. I need a yeah. priest to intercede for me, you know, but that was the question of the ancient person who would go to the synagogue or go to the temple. They yeah. were desperately searching for a priest, a righteous priest, right? Who yeah, would... they had they had lots of questions that we don't. And, yeah. and we have yeah. questions. We, of course, have questions that they didn't either. Right, right. So and we so... have to apply these things. And, and, uh, Maybe one of my summaries of the book, I mean, it's it's really captured in the subtitle would be, you know, recovering the supernatural worldview of the Bible. And so I would describe the book to people as um, coming upon those passages of scripture that are very mysterious, very supernatural, um, just quite frankly, strange to the modern, um, mm -hmm. especially the secular reader um, like, or the skeptical uh, reader. And uh, really in, investing time and energy into those passages that pastors will often kind of skip over, as you mentioned in the opening mm -hmm. chapters of the book. And so, um, yeah, that actually happened to me. Right, right. And finding <laughs> a connectedness of like, um, you know, the passages where, uh, particularly theophanies, right, where there's an appearance mm -hmm. of, of Yahweh to Abraham or certainly the, the burning bush. And, finding some yeah, that, connectedness across that's those. that's a really good example because i when i would get asked to, to speak somewhere my first question to the person asking was well first it was are you the pastor or are you somebody else <laughs> <laughs> you know and then you know you i i want to know if anybody there knows who i am and has read the book or if this is like cold turkey you know mm. <laughs> and and for the for those places that you know had no prior exposure one of the, the lectures i would do is was the two yahweh's you know, because it, I thought it was a it was a good thing to do because it connects to the Godhead thinking of the New Testament. You know, having a Godhead, a Trinitarian Godhead, and you get to see in the Old Testament where that stuff really does emerge from. And it, a lot of it is these weird theophany passages where you have God, you know, and and God, and we'll just say the angel of the Lord is one of these. The word of the Lord is another, and the name of the Lord is another. The, the, the one who rides the clouds is another of these motifs. But there are a number of ways that the Old Testament communicates a second Yahweh figure who, who hmm. is Yahweh but isn't at the same time, kind of like we talk about Jesus. Jesus is God, but he's not the Father. Well, then how can he be God? Well, he is. You know? So, you know, you, you have the same tension in the Old Testament between Yahweh, the God of Israel, and some other figure. But, and, and this is where, this is the, the genesis of, of Godhead thinking. But by the time you get around to Jesus, you've had a couple passages where the spirit gets looped into this language that, that hopefully mm -hmm. when I go through Unseen Realm, I, I try to familiarize people with the language. Genesis of, one, of what, right? The spirit yeah. hovering over the waters, yeah. Yeah, yeah and you get, you get what, what, what scholars call you know, Jewish binatarian monotheism. Hmm. You know, they, they recognize that there's the second Yahweh figure. There's Yahweh, there's Yahweh transcendent and remote. Hmm. And then there's Yahweh who's imminent. 
and and sometimes they occur they the, the two figures will be in the same scene and yet distinguished mm. other times it's almost impossible to tell them apart even though you know that there's two figures in the scene you know my my favorite passage for this is genesis 48 where he uh you know jacob is blessing joseph's children before he dies and he and it, part of his prayer i mean we, we know the story about crossing the hands and we get a chuckle out of it like you know poor old jacob he doesn't know what he's doing anymore <laughs> But but it, it's the prayer that that has the the pregnant theology in it because there's three stanzas in the prayer and, and the prayer is, you know may may Yahweh may the Lord who you know did this or that for me, second stanza is may the Lord Yahweh who protected me all my life, and then the third stanza you expect it to be may the Lord you know Yahweh who did something else you know but it's not, it says may the angel you know, again, who guarded me along the way or, you know, whatever it is. And then, and then the verb comes, may he, and in Hebrew, it's singular. May he bless these boys. So you can't translate it, may they, like there's two different figures, even though there are two different figures, mm -hmm. but the writer fuses them as one. So it, it puts this, it, it casts the angel in a whole new light. And then when you get to the New Testament and you have instead of the angel of the Lord delivering Israel from Egypt, like in, in Judges chapter two, the first few verses, you know, now it's Jesus. Hmm. Well, is it the angel or is it Jesus or is it God? Is it Yahweh? Is it his presence? Is it the spirit? And the answer is, yeah, it's all of that. They're, they're, hmm. they're, they're interchangeable. But, hmm. but you know, again, I, I found that, that to focus on the, the, the two Yahweh's idea was was helpful for people because it showed them continuity across the testaments that you know you don't have to turn on your your tv and, and you get bart ehrman or somebody else you know some other you know, cr critic of christianity mm. telling you that that trinitarianism is so old or, or, or so recent. recent yeah yeah oh just invented by the councils and blah 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 it's like mm -hmm. dude you got it in the old testament you know sure, sure. it's like what what are we missing here so I, I, I found it helpful to, to, to intersect with people on an important doctrinal point, you know, the Godhead, uh, in, in a way that they, they would not have entertained before, but it's there, it's in the text. Mm -hmm. So we, we do a lot of that kind of stuff in the book, and some of it is, is more or less familiar than others, but I think people have appreciated the, the, the willingness, like you said, to tackle some of these strange passages, but also, again, to show their value their connectivity to something that might be more familiar. Yeah, that's a really good example of the sort of texture that you show in scripture, uh, using that, that to Yahweh's idea, um, where the Lord says to my Lord, you know, from the Psalms. Mm -hmm. And so there's the, these, these passages that do sort of give a sense of there, there being something more that we're not quite seeing that comes into clarity, into clear view in the New Testament. Um, and that's something that I've, I've been appreciative of. I'll confess I've not finished the book myself. Um, I have tried to get my way through it as fast as I could, but I wanted to really Take absorb what I, what I was <laughs> reading and not just, yeah, not just flashing through it and acting like I knew everything. But uh, I could tell as I read that you are a man who writes with passion as if you have something really, really important to say. Uh, and I really appreciate that. And I could see why that sort of catches people's attention, especially because you're sort of filling a lacuna in, in theological studies. Uh, you know, for me, as somebody who's been in the evangelical church my whole life, and I've been through seminary now, and mm -hmm. I have a 
big stack of systematic theologies on my bookshelf, which I'm sure you, <laughs> you're probably real happy about, Mike. I know. Um, <laughs> a lot of those a, systematic I'm theologies. Opponent, I'm not an opponent of systematic theology. Hey, yeah. yeah and and the, the two work together, biblical theology and systematic theology. And they both have uh, gifts that they bring for one another. I really don't have a particular favorite. If anything, I guess I'm more of a historical theology guy, but um, that can be a part of our next discussion, I suppose. But uh, one question I have is, what is the legacy for you that you want to leave behind? I mean, you've, you've now mentioned for us your cancer, and I, I, I don't know personally where you're at. And mm -hmm. I, all I want to know is that I, I want you to know is that I'm praying for you. But what, what, what legacy do you want your work to have? What, what gaps in thinking do you want your work to fill? It's quite obvious, I want, but I would love to hear you say more on that. Yeah, I, I want people to have a high view of scripture. Um, I, I want them to be unafraid to embrace things like inspiration and inerrancy. And I realize, yeah. you know, everybody gets to define inerrancy and, you know, you know, been around the block on, on that particular block, you know, many times. But, but I, I, think, I think the concept of the reliability of scripture is really important and it, and it should not be dispensed with. Um, so I, yeah. I would say definitely the, those things. I want, I want people to, to feel like they can trust the content of their Bible, even, even when it's strange, you know, to the, to the to Amen. the modern the modern reader, you know we, you know newsflash the biblical writers were not post enlightenment, you know people they're, they they weren't us they weren't they weren't moderns they the, the the kinds of things that we struggle with they they didn't, and you know there are ways to to parse that out as far as you know what, you know what, sort of would constitute propositional truth and what what doesn't. Uh, in, in the pages of scripture, but I, I want I want uh, my audience and just Christians in general to not run away from from the supernatural elements in scripture and the supernatural elements that that really constitute what Christianity is. Mm -hmm. uh, early, early in the book, I you know, and I do this to set up the book, basically thinking if the reader can get through the first couple chapters, then you know, without you know, being offend, too offended and putting the book down, then they'll be okay. Um, but I talk about selective supernaturalism in it. And, and, and this is where I was, you know, for a, a long time that, you know, I, I, I would reject or, or do hermeneutical gymnastics on certain passages, you know, Genesis 6, Psalm 82, you know, to, to, to make them not say what the text just plainly has them saying. Because the, you know, I thought the implications were, were theologically offensive or theologically disallowable or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but at the same time, I would, I would reject the supernaturalism evident in those passages. But I, there I was. I, I'm, I'm all in for the deity of Christ. I'm all in for the incarnation and the virgin birth. You know, and the reality is these are supernatural things. Mm -hmm. yeah. the, 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 the real truth is that nothing we believe as Christians is going to conform to a post-enlightenment materialistic worldview. Zero. Yeah. I mean, our entire faith is going to is going to fail if that's the test. First Corinthians fifteen, right? Like yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it's it, it's like, I, and I want people to I want people to to be awakened to that. That look, we we don't need to be afraid 
of embracing something that scripture says that's really strange that 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 wouldn't be scientific you know i mean i i'm a big believer and this is this is part of my reformed you know heritage i'm a big believer in the creation the dominion mandate i think it's yeah. one of the more important doctrines that that we have and and there, here is a here is a good example where systematic theology has has done biblical theology a great service you know just just the way this is talked about but I, I, my belief is that part, part of being fruitful and multiplying and, and subduing the earth and maintaining it, being steward kings over it, you know, all this, the theology talk that we get you know, attached <laughs> yeah. to the dominion mandate, all of that is intentional and all of that is important to God. And God would equip us with the tools to know what, what makes the natural world tick because that's how we bring it into submission. We bring it into service of humanity, which is what it was intended to do. It, it's here for us. We're not here for it. Right. You know, we're not, we're not pagans. Okay. We're, it's here for us. We're not here for it. And so, you know, you, if you start looking at things like that, well, we do learn things scientifically that would have been beyond the purview of the scriptural author. So I'm, I'm not an opponent of, of putting an idea in the Bible under under the, the, the scrutiny of the tools of science uh, or, or something like that, you know, and, and those of you, you know, who, if you guys have, you know, done creationism or apologetics in any way, you, this is part of what you're forced to do. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're forced to interact with these between the two worlds of natural theology and, and you know, systematic theology. Mm -hmm. And I'm not opposed to that, but the problem is, is you can't take the scientific method and the tools of science and apply them to supernatural beings. Hmm. By definition, they are excluded from the inquiry. Yeah. Okay, they're, they're, not, they're not part of nature. Hmm. We don't put them under microscopes. There's, there's no testability here. Yeah. When it comes to the supernatural world, when scripture makes a claim, we should not be afraid to accept what it says. And then, and then move on, you know, again, but I think a lot of the church has hurt itself here a lot, especially with the, the on the charismatic side of things, that that makes people really shy away from this. Or, or we we are more worldly than we think we are. In other words, we're more part of this materialistic worldview. We we let it affect us more than we think we do. Yeah. Uh, when when we judge scripture, so I'm hoping that that part of my legacy will be to encourage people to that they don't have to do that. You know, you can you can have your Bible and actually believe it. You should have a high view of it. It it makes sense across the testaments. It, it's going to tell a coherent, well-told story about Christ, and and this is where our faith should center. So that that's what I'm hoping is the result. Yeah, that's something I I really have appreciated as I get through it. It's it's taking these passages that are kind of troublesome for a lot of people who have a sort of flattened metaphysic and mm -hmm. it is helping them really have to think through parts of scripture and i could tell that you rely on scripture you trust scripture um, and that's something that is really refreshing and really commendable um, a lot of people would want to write scripture off in today's day and age even a lot of evangelicals in the church today yeah uh, especially the old so yeah. yeah, and the the answer is not to give up and compromise. I think it's to dig in deeper and to to do more looking at the text. Um, and so that's something that 
as a reformed Christian, I, I find a lot of overlap and uh, I find common cause with you mm -hmm. in that regard. So we've talked a lot about um, reader responses to the book and, um, and how it's really eye-opening. You know, you use that image of the, the pill in the matrix of taking that pill and then having, if you're getting a few chapters in, um, having your, your mind open to a lot of different things you've probably never heard before, um, you're probably going to stick with the rest of the book. And I wonder, Mike, why do you think um, evangelicals, uh, modern Christians um, are, are so hesitant or maybe even active in rejecting a lot of the supernatural passages of scripture that you go into a lot of detail on in the book? I think, I think there's two things. The one I've mentioned already, and that is they see the supernatural sort of being abused over in the charismatic wing of the church. And they, they don't want to feel like they're, you know, I, I don't want to become a person that thinks there's a demon under every rock, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, there, you know, there, there's, there's a demon for every, every bad thing that happens, you know, and uh, on the one hand, I think that that's good. You know, I'm, I'm certainly not there. I, we, we, we do plenty we, we, we succeed, quote unquote, just fine in screwing up our own lives without the necessary <laughs> accompaniment <laughs> of a demon. You know, they, they get the powers of darkness get blamed for a lot of things that we should blame ourselves for. Uh, so I, I understand that that resistance. And I think it's it's appropriate. I, I myself, I tend to be very you know, conservative in, in the way I approach these things. Um, I'm I. I, I tell people mostly in, in secular interviews, it's like, look, I'm, I'm skeptical of everything, but I'm willing to believe anything. I mean, you just, you just, you have to give me a, a reasonable accounting of why I should, you know, believe X, Y, or Z, um, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to test it with the rules of logic and, and all that kind of stuff. And if it's a, if it's something in the natural world, I want scientific data. I mean, I'm, I, I want to be very data driven. And so, you know, I, I understand that that part of the resistance pretty well. But on the other side, I think it's just fear. I think that, that, that Christians tend to be afraid of um, having people talk badly about them or their faith if they believe certain things in the Bible, because that opens them up to, to the, the presumed criticism that the Bible teaches mythology. You know, that, that part of what you believe is mythological. Well, again, what? Let, let's use the M word, okay, mythological. What's not mythological about the virgin birth? Huh. I mean, you can find virgin births all over the place, you know, <laughs> in various mythologies, you know. You know, what's, what's not mythological about a, a triune Godhead? Or, or the incarnation, God becomes a man, fully, you know, a man. You know, all these things that we hold dear before we even get to the strange passages. So I, this is a this is a false fear, um, and, and so I, I just think it's operative in a lot of the church. And one of, one of the things I, I I didn't do it in this book, but I try to do in other contexts is is explain like on my website. On my my homepage is drmsh.com, and under about, uh, there's I think frequently asked questions, and the, and the last one you know get, gets into this whole business about 
myth and science and scripture and all this kind of thing. It's like, look, all the things we believe and all the things that the scripture throws at us from a supernatural perspective are born out of, out of one single defensible proposition. That is, there is a God. Mm. There is a personal God. The God of the Bible is real, okay? Because if that's the case, then we have a being who acts volitionally, makes decisions, decides to do this and not that. You know, we, we have a being who is certainly capable of making beings like himself, embodied or disembodied. He is capable of sharing his attributes with them. He is capable of, of letting them exercise those attributes and still being sovereign. Okay, he's all these all these other you know ideas, and again, some of the, the stuff that makes people nervous in passages, they all are derivative from the idea that the God of the Bible is real. So why are we going to surrender that? I don't think we should. But but I don't think people have been sort of trained to take it apart. They they are they are victims of, of their own modernity. I mean, this is this is who we are. Let's let's be honest. We're we're born in a scientific technological society. And so what that society sort of dictates to us as real, we we subconsciously adopt this kind of thinking. And, and then we, we quote unquote guard scripture against it, you know, well, do we, you know, or, or are we caving into it? You know, and I, I, th I think, I think what we're doing is, is we're actually becoming evangelical skeptics. Mm. We're becoming evangelical modernists, you know, or postmodernists yeah. as, as the saying, you know, as things are now. Um, but you're seeing a reaction to postmodernity, you know, with, with, you know, other parts of the culture. And and we're we're affected by these things, and, and we you know we we think we have to protect ourselves and our Bible from itself. The Bible doesn't need my protection, okay? yeah. and and I don't I don't need to protect you from it either. <laughs> you know we we need to disabuse ourselves of these kinds of notions. But I think those those are the two reasons: the the abuse and then just the the fact that we we struggle against our own modern mindset. Yeah, I, I heard a pastor say recently, um, the Bible doesn't need us to protect it. It's like a lion. You let it out of the cage and it protects itself. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that was Spurgeon, actually, who says that. And Paul Washer was uh, was making the quote, but I think he was, okay. he was probably quoting Spurgeon. So. Yeah, he probably got it from Spurgeon. Yeah, he probably did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Mike, I, I have a question. It's another one of these peripheral questions, not quite about the book. Maybe if we have a chance we can ask a few questions that are particular to the content sure. of the book. Um, but, you know, obviously this is Reformed Podmatics. We are Reformed pastors. Um, and so that has made reading the book interesting for a number of reasons. I think, as I said earlier, we both really appreciate your approach to scripture and what Mark just said about it being like a lion. We, we don't need to protect it. We don't need to defend it, as you're saying, too. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of commonality there. But there's times in the book, um, and this was okay, this wasn't offensive to me, there's times in the book where you critique uh, great thinkers like Calvin or Augustine, and so as Reformed Christians, Mark and I are really committed to the church's history, mm -hmm. and so this may mean we're at odds personally, me, maybe me and you a little mm -hmm. bit with our lack of our our disagreement over whether or not we need to have a lens for, for reading scripture. Um, I don't think we 
necessarily need to have a lens or should have a lens. I think my, we just my, we do my lens, have a lens. My lens would be the ancient Near East or the Second Temple period. Sure, sure. So, so I will <laughs> confess to having a lens. <laughs> there you go. And I, I confess to having a lens too, and that's that's okay. My my real question is not really about the lens thing. It is just uh, what what precedence is there for for your beliefs i don't think you're just a rogue maverick who is coming up with totally new ideas um no. i actually i've been listening to a podcast uh the, over the course of the last week it's by an eastern orthodox priest or two priests i think uh one of them is i think he's his last name is de young his father i think stephen de young and he seems to have actually a lot of uh overlap with what you're saying in the spiritual or in the unseen realm. Um, and so it makes me wonder, is there, have you ever found precedents for some of your positions on the unseen realm in teachers of the church uh, throughout church history? Um, maybe we shouldn't read through the church fathers. Uh, we shouldn't read scripture through their lens necessarily, but have you ever found, oh, they were actually saying something like what I'm saying. Well, um, I, I, Irenaeus has, has become a hero of mine, huh. even, even though I, I, I probably have to confess I wouldn't trust him everywhere. Sure. Uh, same, same for Origen. Origen's got some flaky yeah. ideas here and there, but, you know, <laughs> you know Irenaeus and, and some of these, some of the, Tertullian is another one. Um, they were very much in tune with, with, with Second Temple Judaism's perspective of, of evil. And, the, and yeah. the spread of evil being directly something that directly arose out of the Genesis 6, 1 through 5. It's, it's important to include verse 5 in, in there, um, which, which was a pleasant surprise. I had no idea I would run into that uh, during graduate school or, or during the, the course of writing this book. Um, so so I've, I've had some, some good pleasant surprises you know, in, in regard to that. Um, again, I, I do, I do have my own, you know, my own lenses. And, and I think, I think we just, sure. I'm not smarter than Calvin. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not smarter than Augustine, but the, no, but the one thing neither. I do have, the, the one thing I do have that they don't have is I have data. Sure. I have, I have mountains of data that they didn't have that it had, they had it, they would have done a better job of job with it than I do. Okay. But I have it and they didn't. And, yeah. and we're 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 so much more exponentially responsible to become better readers of scripture using this data. I mean, the, the languages of the ancient Near East weren't deciphered until the late 19th century, you know, early 20th century. The Dead Sea Scrolls weren't discovered until the mid-20th century. I mean, we we have so much yeah. more material that contextualizes the Bible in both testaments that that they never dreamt of and never had, they could never take advantage of. So that is that is both the burden and the advantage of being who we are today. And, mm -hmm. and it, it's, it's what allows me to, to feel confident in places of disagreeing with Calvin or Augustine or whatever. And it's sure. nice to run into Irenaeus and it's like, wow, this guy was really tracking on something here. He was tracking on Jewish literature when everybody else was ignoring it. That, how, how cool is that? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you run into that. Um, yeah, that's that is but really I, but I, fascinating. That, that's that that that's my lens, and so what what I've learned through that is, is I don't I didn't write the book, and I don't feel predisposed, you know, post unseen realm either. 
to pick on any tradition or to embrace any specific tradition. I, I, there, there's things to like in all of them. Eastern Orthodoxy, I don't know much about. Um, I have a big, big question mark over the Mariolatry. <laughs> See, that's a pejorative word. Right, but yeah. but it, 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 I think it still fits both Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. So I have a big problem with that. Uh, right. I can appreciate that they see plurality, divine plurality in Psalm 82, but then they apply it to, to individuals. They, they apply it only right. to sanctification and theosis. You know, yeah. they, don't, they don't really do much else with it beyond that. So in, in every tradition, there are things that I'm going to like about it and things that are going to irritate me about it. <laughs> So, so I, I've learned that I, I should not be, if, if I were looking for a church, you know, I, I would be looking for a place that holds to the core doctrines of the faith in, in, in the Protestant tradition. And beyond that, just don't, you know, just don't worry about, you know, this or that peripheral thing, you know, go there for the right reasons, you know, be, be useful, be, be, uh, be helpful, you know, if, yeah. you, if you can in some way enjoy it because there's going to be a lot more to enjoy than you know to you know sit there and be irritated about it, it just it's just something you learn and and i think every biblical scholar has to go through this and some go through it better than others yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i have no interest in in being a, a you know the official critic of the reformed tradition i i don't i, I don't think foreknowledge and, and predestination are, are you know i don't think foreknowledge necessitates predestination but I would go to the mat and say that the creeds don't either. Hmm. You, know, you know, God knows all things real and possible. As soon as you affirm that, you're on my side. Mm -hmm. Because it's real and possible. That God foreknows a possible doesn't make it real, because then every possibility would be simultaneously real. Right. That, that's not the way things work. Uh, you know, either in God's world or our world, we're living in the one God made for us. So, it, it, you know, <laughs> it, it just it doesn't work. You know, but then, then the question becomes, what about the things that do happen? Are they predestined? My view is I think they can be, but they don't have to be. So that that just that distinguishes me a little bit from reformed tradition, but I have no problem with God predestinating events or or things like that. I mean, that, that's up to God to do. I just don't know. I don't know if he did it in every so would you say that in that the regard order, you order sorry. You know, was that predestinated? I don't think it was. Hmm. You know, I, I don't. I don't have to have every act predestinated for God to get His way. Mike, take your pills. You know, <laughs> yeah. so that that would that would distinguish me a little bit. I, I also I also think election in the Old Testament for sure has been fundamentally misunderstood because we, you know, and all 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 the Reformed traditions are going to go back to the election of Israel, which is normal i mean that, that's where the language starts but but the fact that you're a member of israel doesn't guarantee you salvation mm -hmm. we had this thing called the exile yeah. for goodness i bet three quarters of the nation failed you know we don't have Baal worshipers in heaven i'm sorry but we don't <laughs> god is a jealous god we do not have Baal worshipers in heaven it didn't it didn't matter that they were born into the nation of israel right and they confess the, the lord our god is one what, what matters is the circumcision of the heart the Israel of God, right? The Israel of God. Okay, there's a, there's an Israel that's a subset of Israel, and that's true in both testaments. But how many times, or not, do you ever see that applied to a doctrinal discussion of election? Typically, you don't. It's just proof texting. So I I, I think we I think the, the Reformed you know 
uh, camp ought to do a better job of rethinking that. And I, I don't think it takes much. Well, it's I think kind of election the distinction in, between covenant and election, right? Yeah, it. it, it I, I think there's that that has a lot to do with it because election is really about access to 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 the truth about the true God. When you're elect, when you're a member of this community, this is what you have access to. You're the only ones that have access to the true God and, and, and his worship and, and who he is, his revelation. You got to believe it. <laughs> you know, you can't just say, well, I'm here now. Yeah. And I'm good for eternity. So yeah. Bale's looking pretty good now and weekends. Right. You know, oh, just... that's, a, that, that's a huge question that people have um, thinking of the distinction between covenant and election when their child is baptized and they're a you know, yeah. really never follow Christ their whole life. Well, but it's okay because we baptized him. And so he's elect. Well, that's actually not what covenant right. actually means. They're not synonymous terms. Um, God, God still wants the circumcision of the heart. You yeah, know, and, yeah. and, you know, apostasy is real. It was a real mm -hmm. threat. It was a real fear, yeah. um, especially in the, in the New Testament authors, you know, and, and it's not the, you can't you can't sin away your salvation because salvation is not about your, your your track record, but you can reject it. Mm -hmm. You can turn your back on it, and you you can you can become an unbeliever. You know you can you can solidify yourself in unbelief, and that and that's the danger. So I, I you know my my criticism is is small c criticism of things in in reform circles where I just think I think people ought to be taken through these ideas a little bit you know a little bit in more detail so that that they're they're able to ask these these sort of elephants in the room questions like like you just raised mark yeah. um you know that, that that's a big deal and, and i you know i i would be sitting there in my reformed church and be happy if that's what that's what was what was going on i mean it, it doesn't have to agree with me on, on everything because i can't go anywhere you know i couldn't go to any church and have the yeah. church it's there in a credo baptist context too yeah, exactly. Exactly. Same issue. Yeah, it's the same issue. You know, it, you know, yeah. it, what, what can you say? You know, it, it, these things I think are are denominations. I think are good things. They're they're useful. They're helpful when they sort of get inverted and, and become when and scripture becomes subservient to them. Then then there's going to be problems. Yeah. Um, but but that takes some real conscious guarding. Uh, against you know we're all we're all prone you know to to think we've got a corner on this or that thought and if i have learned one thing as as a biblical scholar it's that you know we, there aren't, aren't many thoughts that we've really cornered very well yeah no i <laughs> you know what what i see is um really one of the strengths of the book i wonder if it could also become a bit of a weakness and maybe you could fill me in on some of the reactions you've gotten to the book. If um, somebody reading the book uh, in a in a orthodox setting can say, wow, this is really filling out some gaps for me, and it's really helping me trust scripture more, love Yahweh more, worship more, love Christ and all, all of his differentiation from the rest of creation and seeing his glory more. And so in that context, it's, it's a healthy, great, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, resource. But then there would be this other context of sort of the conspiracy theorist, um, yeah. you know, person who like wants to believe that their pastor is hiding things right. from them. They've, and, they've been in, intentionally subverting this all my whole life. Yeah. 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 And so I, I, I wonder, have you encountered people in, of that ilk, you know, who would approach you and say, I, Mike, Mike, I you're have. the prophet, man. 
Oh, well, no, no, none of them have gone that far, um, at least at least in an email. <laughs> well, you, everyone takes that risk with every sermon, right? And so in, yeah. in some sense, you know, that's a, that's just a risk that any Bible teacher has to make. But I'm curious what the reaction is. I think I, I, I get more of the first than the second, you know, more of the, well, this has made me love scripture more. But but I definitely have gotten the, the second where where people do they they let their imaginations sort of run wild that all oh, these churches I've been in you know prior to this point have been hiding this from me or the or the pastor's just you know fairly clueless or the pastor doesn't study or mm. you know in other words it, it becomes a pejorative thing it becomes a club you know to to beat somebody else over the head with when what you ought to be doing is beating yourself with that club. You know, it, it, you know, at the, at the end of the day, your, your relationship to scripture, both in terms of your knowledge of it and your obedience to it is your issue. It's not your pastor's issue. Now he has charge over the flock. He's supposed to teach you. He's supposed to you know, care for you and in, in various ways. And, and, and he might be doing is, is you know best you know to do that because he there's just one of him and there's a few hundred of you you know okay so he he to to look at at, at him as a failure i think is 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 very short-sighted and what you ought to be doing is is asking the same questions about yourself am i really devoted to you know to studying scripture and maybe maybe this ought to provoke me in the, in this way how to how to be judging myself instead of judging somebody else for it but you definitely get that and the the you know the thing with unseen realm that i remind people of all the time is like look i i tell you this in the introduction and i actually meant it unseen realm is not a theory of everything it's not the end point it's the beginning point okay it, it, it i'm what i'm do, trying to do is i'm trying to build a framework for you you know, build the matrix or whatever it is, you know, so that so that now you can enter into it and you kind of know what's going on. And you can you can start studying scripture on your own and and have it be more meaningful. Okay, it's just a starting point. That's all it is. And so the the, the problem is the two-edged sword for me is that yeah, I, I open up lots of doors and lots of windows and lots of trap doors and 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 all this kind of stuff. I I expose scripture to the reader and 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 the problem is is, is i don't i don't necessarily in the, in the space of the book i can't i can't drill down and, and give them the sort of super granular answer they're going to want to every question hmm. and and i i have to tell people in interviews all the time look mike mike never had an original thought that's the truth unseen realm okay there, there's no original thinking here i'm standing on the shoulders of scholars what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to take good scholarship and expose you to it and make it decipherable in some way. Some cases I'm warning you about something you're going to run into other cases. I'm encouraging you to think about something you're going to run into, but, but the best I can do is expose you to, to what's in the text and what, what there is to think about, but, but now it's your responsibility to, to go do that, go imitate it, go think about it. And so on my podcast, you know, we, we just started a, a, a private online community where I do a resource of the week. Um, we, we read an article together for, you know, each week. And it's a scholarly article. We, you know, we, I just want to expose people. I'm a, I'm a big believer in exposing people who are serious about scripture to scripture. Mm -hmm. I want them exposed to these things. 
but it, it's your responsibility to do something useful with that now. And what isn't useful is for, is for you to beat the, the person who's sitting next to you in the pew, beat them over the head that they don't know this or that. That what what good is that going to do? I mean, you you have to you have to be what you think is missing in your church. Mm. If you think content is missing, then Amen. do something useful. Mm. Okay, don't 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 be a you know somebody who creates division and criticizes the pastor and whatnot. Be, become a resource to somebody. You know, there's all sorts of things you can do like that, but it is it is a two-edged sword. Yeah, it sounds like convert zeal. You know, this happens a lot, even yeah. in the in our reformed Calvinist circles. Yeah. Somebody first hears Calvinism. This was my own experience about a decade ago. And it changes and colors everything. How they see everything is totally reshaped and it's exciting. And so they want to beat people over the head with it. They think, why have I not been taught this before? What's wrong with my pastor? That's a very similar symptom. Um, and so, yeah, that's well, interesting to Martin hear you Lloyd talk Jones, about. Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about that in a sermon against hyper-Calvinism. You know, as a, as a Calvinist hmm. preacher, he basically says, beware of being devoted to Calvin more than to scripture, right? Be, beware yeah. of being devoted to the system because you're going to all of a sudden lose a lot of scripture if you're devoted just to the system, maybe that gets yep. even to the evangelical hesitancy to embrace these teachings mm -hmm. is we're, we're, we're really devoted to an American type of evangelical Christianity. And this is very individualistic. Yeah, exactly. Um, or, or even um, it's very loyalist, right. To mm -hmm. a, uh, a structure. And, and in Lloyd-Jones's sermon, he's basically saying there are all kinds of mysteries in scriptures and, and even antinomies, right? Almost seeming paradoxes there. And the system is often, it kind of betrays those antinomies. And so- Yeah, um, people, what you just said about the loyalist thing, people get irritated with me when I don't tell them what to believe. Hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's like during a and I do lots of Q&A, you know, it's like, well, okay, well, here are your options, you know, as to how this this or that thing should be understood. You know, if you if you if you take this view, you're you're tracking on these three thoughts. If you take this view, you've added a thought or you've removed one. So I can lay that all out for them. But at the end of the day, I'm going to say, look, here the best I can do for you is tell you what I would need yeah. to to be to be put into one camp or another. Here's what I would need to see or to be feel sure of. And so I, it, it validates the question, but at the same time, I'm just not going to sit here and be the Pope. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you what to believe. Yeah. And well, mm -hmm. uh, Bobbing talks about that, you know, he's talking about the kingdom of God where he's like, well, is it, is it an earthly kingdom where there's healing and there's prosperity and there's shalom in the world, or is it a heavenly kingdom? And we can't wait to go there someday. And he's like, well, it's, it's both in a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and and yeah, uh, why not both? I think he says there's merit in both and uh, to, to put yourself in one camp or the other, you're going to miss a lot of scripture. And so um, I, I guess if, if people were going yeah, to, and scripture is filled with these things, you know, that yeah. he's, he's already, but not yet. Sure. Free you know, will, sovereignty. It, it, it's, yes, it, it's filled with these tensions. So, so embrace both sides of the tension and keep thinking about it. Keep, yeah. I mean, and I don't want to make scripture the object of entertainment. Okay. You, but 
Mm-hmm. You know, those are the, those people who are really into scripture. It, it's a good thing that they're they're so into it. You know, but but when if it just gets to the point of being entertained by it, as opposed to, is this making me somebody a, a Christian who's more useful to their local church, or to some to some other Christian? Well, you know, then you know you you, you probably need to rein yourself in and start thinking about your own mm-hmm. your own place in the kingdom. You know, yeah. are are you doing anything profitable? Um, and so I'm curious, uh, maybe the last question here. So um, obviously uh, we mentioned some of the critiques of Reformed theology, um, but uh, I know that, that you've been uh, a part of Reformed circles, Reformed congregations before, and I'm mm-hmm. a little bit curious, um, what, what is it about the Reformed context that has maybe attracted you or drawn you in? And would it be like the scholasticism of it or the appreciation of deep study of scripture? something along those lines um, or something else maybe? I, th- I think there, there is an overt commitment to scripture. Again, I, I do think because, because there's such a history of tradition as well in terms of creeds and such, you know, there's always this, this tension of, of putting the cart before the horse. But at, at the end of the day, I'd, I'd rather struggle with, with where's the cart and where's the horse than to not have a cart or a horse, <laughs> you know, to, to just be dismissive of one or the other. Um, I, I, like, I like things that, that feel like they have roots somewhere. Um, and, and again, you know, what, what, I, what I might want the ultimate roots to be, you know, may not align with XYZ, you know, Joe Reformed Christian, but they may, they may as, as well. Uh, again, I'm I'm just my lens is is contextualizing things in light of the ancient world uh, that that produced the Bible by God's by God's own sovereignty by His His choice. Um, but yet I I moving beyond that and and that's my that's my hermeneutical domain that's my hermeneutical wish, yeah my hermeneutical drive Be, beyond that I like things that seem to have a a deep you know history of commitment. So that, that's one thing that's a, a real appeal. I'll tell you what else I, I like and what I really miss is we're not in a reform <clears throat> context now. <clears throat> Pardon. I, I miss liturgy. Um, you know, I, I, I miss um, the structure of the service actually meaning something. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so I, I like that a lot. I, to me that that just has it not only has merit in something we ought to be doing it i think it has meaning for it too it gets back to that rootedness right like there's there's a way of doing even a worship service that is uh a a good way even a better way than the world would produce on our own you know um if, if we just are trying to be a seeker sensitive gathering you know yeah I, I've I've learned since that it's called the the entertainment model. Mm, interesting. You know, which which I think we need less and less of. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, but it's going to be harder because we're, we're we have cultivated a, a generation now that is used to immediate gratification mm. of of whatever they want, whether it's content on their phones or being entertained by their phones. You know, you 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 bring your gratification with you, your your gratification tool, which is your phone. Yeah. Um, we're we're just 
we have a generation now that's that's, that's so used to being catered to yeah. yep. and that doesn't require any sort of depth of thought that uh, you know this is this is the job of you guys. This is why I'm glad I'm not a pastor. <laughs> it, it's interesting that you say that. I I, I feel like um, you know you could use the junk food, healthy food analogy, right? Where mm -hmm. a, a generation or more being raised on spiritual junk food, so there's a certain amount of nourishment that could come from that, and you could stay alive by it. But um, you you develop more of a taste for that. Right. And so mm -hmm. even what you're doing in the book is more trying to give that that real food. Um, it's the same thing that Zach and I try to do with uh, people at our church is provide a healthy meal and it might be an acquired taste and you might take a little while to get used to it. But in the end, you'll be healthier. Right. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, anyways, but, um, yeah, well, uh, thanks for joining us, Mike. Uh, and you do really. Yeah, uh, definitely blessed us and took time out of your your schedule uh i know you're not doing a lot of interviews right now and so we're super privileged and grateful that you join us and uh come to our little corner of the podcast universe uh, there with, you our, are. with our few <laughs> hundred listeners uh but uh thanks thanks so much for your wisdom and for for even helping us understand the book and some spiritual things even more fully right, well thanks yeah. again for having me yeah